My grandma loved baseball. And the first baseball game I ever went to was with her. It's probably about six or seven years old, and it was at Old County Stadium in Milwaukee. And there at the game, I got my own baseball. I got to watch Robin Yount, Paul Molitor, Rob Deere, Ben Ogilvie. Oh man, you know those days of the 80s in the Brewers. And I fell in love with baseball. Baseball cards, Bob Euchre, playing baseball. I had this amazing relationship with baseball. But then something happened. Maybe it was collecting way too many baseball cards. Maybe it was throwing pitches against the net over and over again outside my house. Maybe it was watching the Brewers through the 90s. But there was all this knowledge that I had, but there was no love. I became frustrated with it, acting out in anger when I played, yelling at Bob Euchre while listening to the games. It just became corrupted. What happened to this joyous kid who watched Paul Molitor and Robin Yount with open eyes and a joyous heart? What happened? Maybe we should ask the same question of Israel today. They had this beautiful relationship. They'd been rescued from slavery. They'd been given the land. They'd been given covenant promises. And they still, through the years, participated in the religious practices, the feasts. They had their religious figures. But with all their knowledge, it became corrupted. And all aspects of their society started to deteriorate. What happened to this people that caused their knowledge, their leaders, their worship to become corrupted? Well, let's find out today, shall we? It's a longer passage I'm going to be reading, and it's a doozy, okay? Please pay attention as we look at God's word together. It's printed in your worship guide, all of Hosea chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing and lying and murder and stealing and committing adultery. They break all bonds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish, and also the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, and even the fish of the sea are taken away. Yet let no one contend, and let no one accuse, for with you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day, the prophet also shall stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. 
because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. The more they increase, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. And it shall be like people, like priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They shall eat but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore but not multiply because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine, and new wine which take away the understanding. My people inquire of a piece of wood and their walking staff gives them oracles. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray and they have left their God to play the whore. They sacrifice on the tops of the mountains and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth because their shade is good. Therefore your daughters play the whore and your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore nor your brides when they commit adultery for the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes and a people without understanding shall come to ruin." Though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty. Enter not into Gilgal, nor go up to Beth-Avon, and swear not as the Lord lives. Like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in a broad pasture? Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave them alone. When their drink is gone, they give themselves to whoring. Their rules dearly love shame. A wind has wrapped them in its wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We're just joining us. Welcome. We're in the book of Hosea. It is this large analogy that tells us about an historical reality that is happening between Israel and and Yahweh, and God. And this large analogy is playing out in the very prophet's life. And we saw that in the first few chapters. The prophet Hosea is commanded by God to marry an unfaithful wife and have kids. Maybe some of the kids are not even his. And then we saw in chapter 3, his wife leaves him again to go after other lovers. And he goes after her again. This analogy then sets up the rest of this book, which will be going through all the way into the end of the year. Or actually, all the way till December, sorry. And we have God as the husband in this analogy, and Israel as the unfaithful wife. The analogy is played out in a series of sermons that Hosea gives, probably to the north. And they are put together in an order and a structure that's probably harder to figure out than other of the prophetic books. And also we see, we don't always see the corresponding history or actions that are going on in Israel with the actual oracles and prophetic language that God has given to Hosea in these chapters. But what we do know is it's over a 30-year period where Israel goes through a half dozen kings because they are brought um, down because of corruption or coups 
And also we see Assyria rising to power and Israel going after Assyria and Egypt and other people to try to rescue them. And then we see that Israel, the northern kingdom, comes to destruction in 722 B.C. And chapter 4 here specifically gives us a setting of a courtroom. It's an accusations of God the husband against Israel the wife. Some might say it's a lawsuit that the husband gives against the bride. Sharing how she has not been faithful and how she has run after other lovers. And for others to hear about this corruption. And witnesses to know what's gone on. A refrain that we hear consistently through chapter 4. Is this word knowledge. And also understanding. It's used in this chapter over and over again. Many times when we think of the word knowledge. We think of cognition. Test taking. Regurgitating facts. But here, knowledge and knowing in Hosea chapter 4 and in the Hebrew is more than just test taking and just knowing things in your mind, but it's knowing someone intimately, relationally. It's fellowship. I knew baseball relationally, I knew Paul Molitor's batting average. I knew how many RBIs Robin Yount had. I knew how many saves Dan Plezak had. I knew all of these things. I knew them because I loved it. But then something happened. Over time, my love and fellowship with baseball started to go away. First, the relationship went then the corruption happened of how I acted out when playing baseball or listening to baseball, whatever it might have been. Then, finally, my very knowledge of the facts of the team went away. This is what's happening with Israel and God. You see that here. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. It's so fitting that God uses the very words that his, his character has said. His faithful love. And here we see Israel is falling out of that love. We see again they're falling out of that knowledge, that relationship, that fellowship with God. And then the result of this is the unraveling of the society. You see the swearing and lying and murder and stealing, all the breakers and breaking of bonds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. It has gotten so bad. Of course, those are listings of the Ten Commandments, if we remember from this summer. And that is what's listed here of what's going on. And also, when we talked about the Ten Commandments, we said the obedience that people have towards the Ten Commandments flows from God's love. His grace, our relationship with him. And because we love him and what he has done for us, then we act in obedience towards it. Then it makes sense that this love and fellowship has been broken. Therefore, then the obedience is broken. And we see their 
disobeying the Ten Commandments and what that does to society. Breaking between fellowship of others, bloodshed between others, the trust between brother and sister and neighbor is no longer there. And then we see in verse 3 how deep it goes. The corruption and the sin goes so deep that it also corrupts the land, nature, the things in the world. Some of you might look at verse 3, therefore the land mourns and all who dwell in it languish and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven and even the fish of the sea are taken away. And we might think that sounds like a very big jump from breaking the commandments to the land falling apart. I think God is trying to communicate his difference between the gods that they are running after. Specifically Baal. Baal was a god of the, the fertility and also a god of the weather. And Yahweh is trying to set himself apart from that in saying, I'm not a god of specific things, but I am the creator of all things. One God. There is creator and creation. And humanity's sin, because of sin entering the world, it corrupts all of creation. We can think of the garden, and we think there that man has given, man and woman has given dominion over the land. And we see that because of sin has entered the land, the land has also been corrupted. Sin breaks what creation is supposed to be. And it has effects over all of God's creation. Maybe you say this year, you know what? My craving for Halloween candy is going to last longer than the two weeks when it runs out. Right? I've decided that my cravings are going to last two months. No, six months. No, my snacking on Halloween candy is going to last a year. That might be okay for a little while, but then you start to realize something is happening to you. You're becoming more sluggish. Your blood pressure is going up. You're having crashes. Your mental health isn't very good. You see the swearing, the lying, these breaking the Ten Commandments. That sin is outside of how the created world is supposed to be. Just as ingesting a baby Ruth or a Kit Kat for every meal affects the larger system, so in the same way, when we sin in these ways, we are affecting the created order. God is saying, I know how this whole system works. I created it all. I know even how humanity should live, and it has an effect on everything. As Christians, we need to care about creation. Environmentalism isn't simply political fodder for the left and the right. Deterioration of our world is the result of our sin. And as Christians, we should care about our environment and care about God's creation. I want to speak to some of you that might 
care deeply, or maybe friends that you know that care deeply about the environment, but then also think little about the creator of the environment. Could the creator of this beautiful place also know not just how creation works, but also how we work? That he designed us and made us. He made us unique with rational minds, with love and care. And just as there are principles that govern the natural world, there are principles that are in place to care for us. What we do with our bodies, how we treat others that need to be done for our prosperity. Maybe some of you that think little about the creator and only about the creation, about the environment. Maybe you need to realize that this creator knows you and made you and knows what is best for you. And here he has laid it out in his law laid it out, and how I can be connected with him in relationship through Jesus Christ. Maybe something for you to think through. Well, let's go on to verses 4 through 10. Now, the group that should answer a lawsuit or condemnation should be the priests. You understand the priests are the intermediaries between God and the people. They bring the sacrifices. They do the sin offerings. They mediate this relationship. Now you would think against this accusation, they should speak against it, saying, God, how dare you say such things to us? But then he says in verse 4, God says, Yet let no one contend, and let no, none accuse. For with you is my contention O priest. You see, the people that should have been mediating, the people that should have been doing something, they are actually the ones that are corrupt themselves. And he's not going to hear it from them because how far astray they have gotten. Even the religious leaders have forgotten the law, and they have become extremely corrupt. And we see here in the language that they're feeding off the sins of the people. I think this language is both metaphorical and literal. See, the priests would receive the offerings from the people. And what was happening in Israel at that time is that the people were making offerings to foreign gods. They were also participating in temple prostitution. And the priests were benefiting from this religion because a percentage of the offerings that were given were given to the priests to eat. And they were fattening themselves by these offerings to foreign gods. So they, both metaphorically, they were feeding off the people in their sin, meaning letting them continue to sin, and literally actually eating these sacrifices and making themselves fat from it. We also see this language as it goes on, be like people, like priests. See, what's happening here is the priests are doing wrong, but these groups are feeding off each other. The priests are appeasing the people and their religion so they get the offerings of the gods and all the benefits from it. 
In the same way, the people are benefiting because they can continue in their religion without any pushback and continuing in their sin without the priests doing something about it. The result is both of them are looking the other way instead of relationship and knowledge of God. And they are consuming all of these things but not being fulfilled. And in result are facing these massive consequences in their society. This week, I was meeting with a bunch of pastors from the Midwest, nobody that you know. And one of these pastors, pastors the last church in a rural town in this state, and happens to be a PCA church. And the elders of this church, which includes the pastor and Tim, have taken a stand Stand by Christian sexual ethics about who they will marry in the church. Also, who they will baptize and who they will do funerals for. That they will simply not just give spiritual blessings and play the religious kind of charlatan in the town. They said, we stand by God's word. Now, some people in this church have said this, you work for us. You need to perform our religious rituals. In response, many in the church, specifically the wealthier people in the church, have held back their finances for the church. And the church is seriously hemorrhaging and at the point where they'll not be able to meet their budget and might have to close their doors. Some of you might say, well, just get along with it. Don't be a curmudgeon. Be a place of hope in the town. Allow them to do their weddings and their funerals and their things in the church. Well, as with these pastors, I heard another story. I heard of a story of one of these churches in this town that 50 years earlier had taken a stand a stand for the authority of Scripture in Christ's divinity. And because of that stand, their larger denomination tried to take their building and told them they needed to go their way instead of towards God's Word and believing in Christ's divinity. There was a lot of pressure, as I heard in that moment. And the pastor of that church, who is very elderly now, Lamented about what he struggled with, with maybe losing their building or facing these major consequences of going against the denomination. But 50 years later, this church still stands. And the other churches that stayed with that denomination are either dead or totally gone. God has a greater perspective. That's what we're seeing with Israel. That gives us a charge to us. A charge to the elders here in our church, which includes me and David and Luke and Perry and Mark. 
Do not compromise the knowledge of God for pleasing people. Do not compromise the knowledge of God for numerical growth or worldly appeal. It might challenge us. It might be hard. But we need to stand by his word and by our relationship with him. Church, to you, as your pastors, we are here to serve you. We are here to shepherd you. We are here to lay down our lives for you. But hear us, we do not work for you. We work unto the Lord. And we will say things to you that are hard, that you will disagree with. The word will offend all of us, and it will challenge us. We need to feed on the Lord, not feeding on the whims of our age. We do not need to feed on the whims of our age that say, you do you. Love is love. We do not need to feed on the whims of our age that say political power is where the church will be able to thrive. We do not need to feed on the whims of our age that say our children's academics or their sports success is what truly matters. Those things will lead us hungry. But there will be one that will saturate us. One that will feed us eternally. That is his word, and that is Christ, and that is knowing him. We see that the lack of knowledge has happened. We see that the priests have become corrupt. And then we see that through the lack of fellowship led to deterioration in societal interactions, the corruption of the leadership. We also see the corruption has happened in their worship. They've started to rely on sticks and staffs for advice. These created things is what will answer them. Rather than worship God in the temple where his presence is in Jerusalem, they go all over to the hills and into nature to celebrate, to feast, to sit in the shame, in the shade, combining worship with Yahweh, with other gods. And the result is hedonism. We see sexual promiscuity. It's affected the wives and the daughters in adultery and compromising with other gods. But again, God does not fault them. He faults the men who have allowed themselves into sleeping with temple prostitutes in adultery. We see the corruption in worship has led to a licentiousness in society that has gone way too far. Some of the people in Israel might say, well, Jerusalem is too far for us to go. We just want to worship in nature. Isn't that fine? It's too hard to make us go to that place. You know, let's just enjoy. We'll do some grilling. We'll chill. We'll put up some flags. We'll sing some other tunes other than worship to God. We'll watch cheerleaders. We'll put our money and energy not into idols made of sticks, but instead 
made by pigskins. Sound familiar? Right? You could drive by right now. You could see people worshiping. People that grew up in Catholic churches and Lutheran churches that were baptized, that spend their morning worshiping at Lambeau Field. Too close? Come on, Sunday morning's too difficult. We have our family, we have our sports, we have our adventures, we have our trips. That's what needs to be worshiped. talking to a friend this week. During the pandemic, his family watched online to not watching. To now, his family not going back to church. And them saying, there's too many important things to do. There's too much arguing in church. There's too much social interaction. It's not exciting. We like hiking instead. And he asked me, what am I to do with my family not wanting to go back to church? I gave lots of advice, like you're the father, do something, right? Your kids don't dictate your life. That's another conversation. But have they, I really emphasize this, Have they forgotten the God that made the universe for them, that saved them, that gives them all the things that we celebrate, that he wants relationship with them? Hear me. I love the Green Bay Packers. I like hiking. I like sports. I like family vacations. These are all beautiful things. But when we worship the creation instead of the creator, those things become idols and they will leave us empty. I use this analogy that baseball, I had this beautiful connection with it. But I lost the love the love that was sitting by my grandma, who loved me well, that I knew well, is what made me love the sport so well. And what happened when I lost that connection from it? How much more do the things that we love in this world can be corrupt when we elevate them and do not put them in connection with the Creator of them. The last few verses, there's a warning to the north, which is probably where all of Hosea is collected. Sorry, a warning to the south about the north. All of this is collected, and then the north has been destroyed, and here is Hosea in the south. And he's warning Judah in the south that they will not go down the same road that Israel went down. And warning them, don't go to the places that they went to worship. 
And then he reveals about what happened to Israel, that they became like a stubborn heifer, which is almost impossible to move. Realizing there's almost no way to draw them back. It's so bad that they revel in their shame. I think it leads us to this larger conversation we're having in our society right now. People leaving church and not coming back. Saying, I don't need it. Again, it's not exciting. Don't like their view on politics. It doesn't do it for me. It's tough to be around other people. And we are stubborn. And we see what happens to society when that goes away. What happened to Israel when that knowledge of God went away. So what will draw them? What might draw you? Maybe you are here feeling guilty or ashamed. Or maybe you're on the edges of leaving church altogether. What should I do? What should we do as the church to draw you? What should Judah do? What should God do to draw them? Should we get angry? Dig in our heels? Say you're too far gone? What is the answer? You know, that anger and frustration is really what happened about Judah and then how they viewed the north, Israel. You have to realize after Assyria took over, it became hundreds of years of intermixing of religion and cultures that the north, kind of all the things of Yahweh just kind of went away. Became known as Samaria and the Samaritans. And over the years, it got so bad that people from the south wouldn't even go through the north if they were trying to get to places north of it, through Samaria. They would go around Israel, around Samaria, to get where they wanted to go, not to interact with these people. There's a story that you can read. It's in a book called the Book of John, which is part of this collection that we call the Bible that was written 800 years later from this. And there was one leader in this book who told his followers, he called them his disciples, that he wasn't going to go around, that he was going to go through Samaria. And in one town, he went in to the center of town and sat at a well. And there a woman with all of these corruptions that we read about in Hosea 4 came out. She had six husbands. And the one she was sleeping with at that time was not her husband. Talk about great shame. Disciples came out and saw Jesus was talking to this woman and said, why are you talking to this person? 
She drew up water for Jesus. This leader and his response sounds a lot like Hosea chapter 4. You might think of these words about eating and not being satisfied. Or their drink is gone, which is said in Hosea 4. That they give themselves to whoring. What this woman was doing. And Jesus says, I can give you living water. That you will never thirst. And she objects. She says, well, what are you telling me? You all tell me that I have to go to Jerusalem to worship. Right? Echoing these kind of things. And Jesus say, one day you will worship in spirit and truth. That God will be present with us and in us. This woman is like, well, you must be talking about this thing we've heard about the Messiah, the Savior. And Jesus says to her, I am him. Here is a picture of the ultimate husband coming to Israel in the flesh to know her. Here is the fulfillment of God and his promises in Hosea that he will not leave Israel to its destruction. He will not let Israel be stubborn. Instead, Israel will be brought back into the fold. Here it is, Jesus coming to a stubborn nation. And through this woman, this woman told her town and her friends the Messiah had come. Maybe you have been inoculated by all this religious stuff. You have lost knowing him. Maybe you are swept so far away by the appetites of the things in this world and you're realizing it will not satiate your thirst. But here... Here is one that brings us living water that will satisfy your thirst. One that you can know intimately. Be in fellowship with him so that you will never thirst. That you will be satisfied.